and we are live and it's 11 11 my favorite time what's up everybody happy friday to you all hope you guys are having a good day so far today what we're going to do for the podcast we're going to talk all things nutrition something that we decided as a team for kind of october for our team meetings is we're just going to kind of keep everything really focused around nutrition for you guys and just more nutrition education and also on this podcast i decided that what a better way to kick off the first podcast of October. Well, actually, that's a lie. Technically, last Friday was October. First full week of October, we'll call it. I uh, want to focus on nutrition. And one of the questions that I got from one of the coaches was when we were doing FLAT, which is kind of our onboarding certification that we do for every coach that starts here, was the discussion of like why we should be avoiding snacks versus focusing on meals, which is one of the things that I kind of had worked into the template. Um, and it's a great question, right? Like, because, you know, when I first started working out myself, I grew up in the era that we were supposed to be doing the four, five, six, seven small meals a day, and then my metabolism is like a furnace, and in order to feed this furnace, I got to keep giving it a little bit of food because that's what helps speeds up the metabolism, and blah, 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 right? And before I get into kind of the weeds of today's discussion, I want to remind everybody that you have to remember nutrition can be approached from a lot of different avenues. So staying open-minded with the approach is really important to understand, and most importantly, understanding, too, that you as the individual and your biology and your schedule and your food preferences and your culture and your family and your friends and, like, all this stuff that influences the what, you know, the what and the how and how your nutrition works for you is important to understand. So there is a lot of individuality behind this. Um, and I would love to personally, you know, for me, I've done a lot of research in the nutritional science space over the last like five years, I've kind of really dived into it deep in the last two years, even more deeper. Um, and there's so much confusion in this space, right? Because there's a million and one ways to do it, right? Like the carnivore space talks shit on the vegans and the vegans, vice versa. Then there's the paleo, then there's keto, then there's intermittent fasting, then there's, you know, high carb, low carb. It's like, there's a million and one ways to do it. There's weight watchers with points and whatever. Um, and here's the one thing to remember when you look at food and nutrition in general. Most diets have worked for a lot of people, but they unfortunately don't work long-term for people. And the reason why they provide a short-term success is because it has some type of structure and there's adherence to that structure. And no matter what, like the way that I kind of like to describe exercise for people is if you haven't worked out before, it doesn't matter if you do functional lifestyles programming or Zumba or you know CrossFit or Orange Theory, you're probably going to have some level of success in the beginning. Where most of us get stuck when we come to nutrition is sustainability behind that approach, right? So that's kind of where I'm trying to – I'm going to give you guys what I personally believe to be kind of the one of better approaches to kind of sustainability behind successful fat loss and building lean muscle and all that good stuff. Um, I personally over the last couple of years have actually kind of taken a little bit of a pivot in my nutrition. I used to always look at nutrition being this very – you know, aesthetically driven goal or, or performance. I want to be the strongest guy. I want to be faster than I was. I want to be leaner than I was. I want to build more muscle and blah, 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 blah. Um, and not that those things are not important to me. They definitely are. But I've almost gotten to a place where I really do feel good with my body personally and trying to find something that's a little bit more sustainable and focused on kind of health and longevity. Uh, it's become a bigger focus, right? Uh, just like a little backstory on my kind of myself and my family. On my mom's side, my mom's brother, so my uncle and my mom's dad, they both passed away at a pretty young age. And when I was younger, when it happened, I don't think it really set in for me. Like, 
like uh, what I mean by that, like set in for me, like there wasn't really any changes that necessarily come from that. As I've gotten older and being in this space for almost half my life, I realized that like I do not want to pass away at 50 and I want to live a long life and I want to be able to have healthy children and I want to be able to play with my healthy grandchildren one day and great grand great grandchildren. Um, and I want to be able to do things late into my life. I don't want to be a vegetable. Like I'm a very active person with just obviously with exercise and just life in general, but more importantly, like, you know, golfing or skimboarding or mountain biking or anything like that. I would love to do that forever. So a lot of this has also become focused around longevity. Um, and one of the things that I like to kind of preach to you guys as clients is remember that when you kind of keep a very health centric focus with your exercise program and your nutrition program, a byproduct of those things is generally going to be looking good and some level of performance increase, right? Now, if your goal was strictly like, I want to be the leanest dude ever, or I want to be the strongest guy or the like the highest performing athlete is, God damn, English is hard for me today. Um, the highest performing athlete I could possibly be, then yeah, there's going to be some kind of adjustments to the plan and adjustments to the lifestyle. And that comes with a lot of sacrifice in itself. Um, and that's something I've talked in, you know, previous podcasts before talking about the difference between your goal and your sacrifice. So for today's purpose and today's conversation, I really want to keep this around. How do I find something that's sustainable? One, how do I find something that's going to provide fat loss, but more importantly, sustainable fat loss, something that's also going to focus on health and longevity. So improving your energy, improving your mood, improving your sleep. Um, you know, improving your recovery so your body really feels good because at the end of the day, looking good and being strong is cool. But if you feel like shit all day and you have up and down mood swings, that's like that's not ideal, you know, to me and hopefully most of you guys listening to this. So those are gonna be kind of the three things. So to open up the conversation, here's one thing and a term that I'm gonna come back to a lot today. And this is called it's the definition of metabolic flexibility, right? When you look at, you know, calories, right? Calories are just a measurement of you know, a measurement of energy. So at the end of the day, everyone likes to talk about with weight loss and fat loss that we need to be in some level of a calorie restriction in order to actually provide that, which is true, right? Um, and from longevity purposes, there is a million and one studies backing this, that being in some level of a deficit um, is a, is shown to increase lifespan and health span as well. We just need to make sure that we're not in extreme deficit because, you know, levels, things like starvation. If you're burning 4,000 calories a day and you're always eating 500, like, guess what? You will be a frail skinny, weak son of a bitch, right? So yes, that's kind of conversation number one, but it is what I like to call a very elementary conversation and entry level to nutrition for people and trainers, including, you know, that's the way that I started with clients like, Hey, eat less, move more. And that movement's been kind of something that we've been pushing hard for 20 years. Uh, and here's the thing. We've only gone backwards, right? 70% I forget the exact number. I think it's like around 70% of people in America are overweight, right? And then some level of people are actually clinically obese, right? And we see this with children on the rise. Um, and for me, we have to underlook at like just understanding data that what we are doing obviously is not working. So just look at the data and understand that if we have 70% of the people that are overweight, then we have to understand that probably what we are currently doing is not really working. So let's kind of come back to this term metabolic flexibility. Metabolic flexibility is basically saying that when you look at forms of energy as calories, we also have to look a little bit deeper into kind of macronutrients, right? The three basic ones that all of us like to talk about are going to be protein, fat, and carbs. 
Protein is the building blocks of all tissue in your body, not just muscle, tendons, bones, the whole nine yards, right? So they break down into amino acids, and this is what helps with kind of growth and repair. So it's definitely something that's deemed probably as one of the more essential macronutrients. And the reason why we deem it more important is just because so many people are under eating in it. Not that carbs and fats are not important, just on the kind of list of things that most people are getting enough on, protein generally tends to be the lowest one. So I'm not going to talk too much about that, right? I want to talk about more like, you know, your carbs and fats and how to cycle those two things. So carbs and fats are two sources of energy. Carbs can kind of be broken down into kind of two different classes. We look at fibrous carbohydrates, and then we look at kind of like complex carbohydrates, right? So if I were to think about something that needs sun and water to grow, that doesn't require any manufacturing, any kind of a, you know, modifying of the plant, well, even though a lot of that stuff is, we think about things like vegetables, and we think of things about like fruits, and both fruits and vegetables are on a continuum, and what I mean by that is something like a, a berry versus something like a mango is going to have a lot different of a glycemic response in the body, meaning the level of sugar and blood sugar and insulin, which are things that are going to be very, very important if you're looking at fat loss. Then vegetables, we also look at kind of the same conversation with the continuum being, hey, there's things that are grown above ground, which would be your leafy greens. So if I'm having something like a like a asparagus, right, versus something like a carrot or a potato, then there's underground, which would be potatoes, carrots, onions, parsnip, uh, ginger shit like that right so i look at all fibrous carbohydrates being something that i deem as essential for longevity and health and micronutrients you know nutrient density in general so it's definitely something i kind of put on the top of the totem pole as something that should be part an essential part of your diet with literally every single meal right so that is carbs, right? Then the other side of carbs, sorry, is the complex side is going to be things like rice. It's going to be things like uh, pasta. It's going to be things like bread. It's going to be your donuts, your pastries, like the good shit really is the way that we like to label it. Um, these are the things that you really, really need to kind of control and modify based off level of lean body mass or activity level. Um, and, you know, if you look at the modern day human, a lot of us aren't working out enough. We are very sedentary. We are very stressed out. And unfortunately, we crave those things, but those would be the things that we deem as probably needing to be take out the most, right? So that's carbs, right? Then we look at fats, right? And fats, I like to look at kind of two different sides of fats. Like when you look at the unhealthy fats, the things that I would say, no matter what, try to completely take out of your diet. One of the things that I even try to like do at a restaurant every once in a while is I say, hey, are you allergic to anything? You say vegetable oils. Vegetable oils, canola oil, corn oil, like safflower oil, like all those things they have a higher smoke point, so this is why a lot of restaurants use them. But if you think about it, how the fuck do you get vegetable or oil out of a vegetable, right? They have to – it's highly oxidative. It requires a lot of pressure because it requires a lot of high heat. Um, and it's going to be deemed as something that's going to have an unequal balance of a omega-6 versus omega-3. We want to, in the perfect world, be closer to kind of this one-to-one -one ratio of omega-3 to omega-6, right? Like – Foods have omega-6, so it's not that omega-6 are necessarily bad, but when you're – the average American, to give you kind of a crazy mind-blowing stat, is taking a 50-to-1 ratio of omega-6 oils in or omega-6 in compared to omega-3. When you think about omega-3, we think about things like salmon. We think about you know the healthier fats now, which would be like olive oil, um, obviously grass-fed meats, wild-caught fish, cold-water fish mainly, um, avocado, you know, butter, beef tallow. Uh, I'm trying to think if I'm missing anything. Nuts even. So like macadamia nuts, those kind of things. Like those are going to consider healthy fats. So coming back to carbs versus fats, here's one thing that a lot of people either forget or just don't know. 
they're both sources of energy for your body. Your body doesn't really utilize a lot of protein as a dominant source of energy. So your body really relies on using glucose, which is kind of the broken down form of what carbs come into the body, or like fatty acids and ketones, which is going to be the broken down form of fats. So if you're feeding a lot of both carbs and fats in your diet, you are going to have a really, 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 really hard time with fat loss. And here's why. Number one, it kind of tricks the body, neurochemistry in the brain, literally can eat a lot more of those type of foods. And I'll give you an example if you don't believe me. What's the best foods in the world that have both carbs and fats? Ice cream, pizza, you know, I could go down the list forever. They have a lot of carbs and a lot of fats. And guess what? We tend to eat a lot more when there's both of them in the mix, right? So metabolic flexibility is basically the ability for the body to run on glucose when needed or the ability to switch on to fat burning mode. So when I say if I were to create the best diet for the human being, for the the general average person, we want people to become fat adapted, right? Fat adapted is basically saying that if I, and I'm just going to make something up here, if I'm a 30-year-old male, I'm 6'1", and I'm 220 pounds, and my goal is to be to 180, you have to remember that you have 40 pounds of fat, possibly even more, of stored energy, right? So if your goal is fat loss, which is what 90 plus percent of people in the world are probably focusing on, you have to remember that your body actually has stored energy sitting inside of you. So let that sink in, right? So the goal is not necessarily like, what's crazy specific diet can I do that's going to like enhance fat loss? But it's like, how do I actually get the system itself to turn on for fat loss? And that's the hard part, right? So that's going to be kind of what I want to talk about today is how do we structure our day and our composition of meals to actually turn this process on, right? And there's a lot of kind of cool research. If you were to look at someone that's maybe obese versus someone that's very lean, it doesn't take someone that's lean very long to get fat adapted or to kind of turn that system over. Meaning if I were to have, you know, I consider myself relatively lean, so I'll use myself as an example here, right? I'm a pretty lean person. If I, like my breakfast, something that I've done over the last probably three or four years now, I try to keep carbs out of my breakfast and that I realized I was almost becoming insulin resistant and I was becoming a little bit more sensitive to certain types of carbs. Like I would just have this really, really steep blood sugar spike. Insulin would follow suit and then it would drop really aggressively and then I would be tired and I need more coffee or I need more carbs and I ended up kind of just getting into this chase your high kind of routine. So I said, and now all these changes in education over the years, I've realized like, hey, like I need to kind of moderate when and where I'm taking in certain types of carbohydrates, right? So coming back to that example, if I were to have something like a very a keto style day today where I have protein, vegetables, and those vegetables being maybe a little bit, you know, on the leafy green side and less root vegetables, maybe you have a little bit of berries or something like that. Um, and maybe some added fat, obviously, unless if I'm, if I'm not getting enough from the animal protein, my body can switch on to fat burning mode that easy, right? Then the research on the other side is when you're someone that's obese, that's someone that's maybe been, you know, used to having some level of carbohydrates or processed refined sugars with almost every meal or snack, having one day is actually not enough, right? There's some research that shows that it takes those people four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. So it's something that takes a while for that system to kind of turn over depending on how long you've been eating eating a certain type of way. So when I say metabolic flexibility being kind of the goal for most of us, it's the ability to say when I am having carbs, my body can use that glucose for energy. 
But also when I go through periods of fasting or periods of carb deprivation, I can actually turn on to fat fuel as my kind of my source of fuel, right? And that's what we want. And the reason why is because if we have stored energy, we have to remember that the only way for our body to actually tap into it is, number one, a deficit, obviously, because a deficit is your body saying, hey, I'm burning 3,000 calories a day and you're only giving me 2,500. Well, guess what? I need to make up for that 500 calories somewhere else. And your body is going to tap into what it has. But if you're eating at a deficit, here's the only thing that you need to remember is with a deficit, there is some metabolic adjustment that follows suit. Meaning if I have 3,000 calories a day as my activity level and I eat 2,000 calories, your body will actually start to slow down its metabolic rate. So non-exercise activity, even some just overall metabolism, it starts to adjust for that. So if you feel like you're actually in a plateau and you are continually eating less and trying to move more, maybe your body has not become fat adapted yet. And that's what we want to look at, right? So the goal of today's conversation and kind of the secret sauce is how do I get your body to become fat adapted? How do we get your body to become metabolically flexible? So this way it can switch on and off between using fats and carbs. So hearing all that so far, most of you would say, well, okay, well, this sounds like something that maybe would be more like keto, right? Here's the only downside to keto. Keto is very successful for a lot of people. And I think from a lot of kind of the uh, neurogenerative side I think like fats are more beneficial source of energy than they are with carbs. But also we have to be realistic. Like if you're someone that has higher lean body mass, you're someone that has a high activity level or someone that just enjoys fucking carbs, like you want to have carbs in the diet. But the goal is we just need to control when and where and where the how do we kind of moderate, you know, the source and the intake more importantly, right? So when you hear keto, here's the only downside to keto based off research. You lose your insulin sensitivity, right? We want to be insulin sensitive, not insulin resistant. Insulin resistance is basically saying that if I'm always feeding myself some level of carbs, sugars, refinement, anything like that, your body's always having a blood sugar go up and insulin's job is basically to, the pancreas will release insulin, takes the sugar out of the blood and tries to store it in the liver or in the muscle. Um, and if you have too much stored there, it's gonna store it into fat, okay? So, with insulin being healthy and someone that's insulin sensitive, when we have those carbohydrates, which is like, hey, we're going into the holidays and Thanksgiving and those kind of things or Halloween, like you're going to you're going to have those spills and that's OK. Um, if you're insulin sensitive, it's something that your body can adapt to and it'd be very, very healthy with adjustments. Now, if you're someone that's always having sugar and carbs with every meal, every two or three hours, your body starts to develop insulin resistance. And what that is, is basically when sugar goes up. The, the insulin, which is basically supposed to be the key that unlocks the cell to kind of store those nutrients into there, you start to have become resistance between the communication between insulin and the actual cell itself. And think about like if I already give you guys an analogy, it's like if I look at the sun for five seconds, like my eyes will be a little bit like I'll be seeing dots and things like that. It's not the end of the world. Um, and that's okay. But if I stared at the sun for an hour every day and two hours every day and three hours every day and four hours every day, well, guess what? Eventually I'm going fucking blind. Okay, and that's what happens when you're always feeding it these high sugar, high processed carbohydrate meals all the time. So in order for us to increase insulin sensitivity, in order for us to actually become more fat adapted, in order for us to become more metabolically flexible, there has to be periods between feasting and fasting, right? This is biologically how our genes are designed in humans, right? As humans, we actually had to go hunt for food. Right. So if you think about that, we were actually in fasted states to go earn our food. 
right? And that's a big thing, right? So let's let's kind of focus on insulin. I want to kind of carry this conversation over to stress as well. When you look at insulin, insulin is a hormone that, like I said, takes sugar out of the blood or takes nutrients, fatty acids, amino acids, all that good stuff. And it's it's a very anabolic hormone. So it's not something that we should be scared of. It's something that we should just deem as something that we should focus on controlling, right? Now, insulin is something that if I'm someone like me who's more, you know, ectomorphic, skinnier, trying to gain weight, if you are part of that percentage of people, then yeah, we want to use insulin to our advantage, right? I'll give you a very extreme example. Bodybuilders actually inject themselves with insulin on the day of shows, and they'll eat four, five, six hundred grams of carbs on the day of their competition, and those muscles will blow up like a damn balloon, right? So insulin is a storage hormone. Here's what everyone fucks up, is when insulin is up, your body is no longer burning fat. So why, to kind of in the beginning of this conversation, we want to focus more on meals and less on snacks, is if you're constantly always in this feeding cycle, I eat breakfast, I have a small little snack, I have a frappuccino, I have lunch, I have a snack, I get another coffee, um, I have dinner, I have dessert, I have wine, you're eating almost all day long, your body never gets the opportunity to say, yo, you got 40 pounds of stored fat that we're trying to burn, how do I get into this, right? And the way that we do that is going through periods of fasting which you can do so many different windows of that. There's intermittent fasting. There's alternate day fasting. There's, you know, 24-hour fast, 48-hour fast. I think anything outside of that can be deemed a little bit unhealthy for most people. Um, so we want to use that. And then number two is really just letting those natural fasting windows between meals happen. Because, you know, if I have breakfast, for example, at 10 o'clock in the morning, and I have lunch at 2 and dinner at 5, those three, four hours between meals is at least enough time for the sugar to go up insulin to do its job, bring your body down, and hopefully we can kind of manage blood sugar a little bit. We can kind of control some of these cravings and all that good stuff. So when you look at insulin, you have to remember that it is a anabolic hormone, it is a growth hormone, it is a storage hormone. Glucagon is the other hormone. It's basically the inverse hormone. Glucagon goes up when insulin's down. So during periods of fasting, this hormone glucagon will go up, and it basically says, okay, well, we need to find where to get this energy from. We have stored fat. We have stored glycogen in both liver and muscle. If you're someone that's not fat adapted yet, naturally you're probably going to take a lot of that glycogen uh, and you're used to glycogen, right? And if you want to know if you're not metabolically flexible, if you go six hours or eight hours in your day without food and you're a cranky son of a bitch, um, you are not metabolically flexible, right? Like we should be able to go hours without food and not have like these super, super intense cravings. The problem with very highly glycemic type of foods, which tends to be a lot of the processed refined things. So let's take something like a donut. If I had a coffee and a donut, like most people's breakfast, and I think I said this on a previous podcast, was like, it's fucking dessert. But when you have something that aggressively glycemic, it goes straight through the roof, right? And it comes down just as fast as it went up. And guess what? That's where that little like, oh, I feel like I need a nap or I need more coffee and that kind of chasing that high type of mentality, we want to be able to mitigate how much aggressive blood sugar spikes we have. So, for example, if I have, like, let's take yesterday's breakfast for me. I had, um, I think I had five eggs. I had some blackberries and blueberries. It was the only fruit we had left. I had a little bit of bacon, a little bit of ground turkey kind of mixed into it, and some spinach in the eggs too, sorry. Um, so that's something that, yes, there's carbs from the berries, but blueberries and blackberries, but they're very, very lower glycemic. So I don't get this huge aggressive up and down. So when you look at insulin, that's one thing that we really want to focus on controlling and mitigating so we can let glucagon, the inverse hormone, do its job, right? So things that affect insulin, carbs would probably be the highest, right? Like more glycemic complex carbs. Fibrous carbs are not as aggressive. 
Uh, proteins also will obviously improve or increase blood sugar, which will release insulin. Fats actually tend to be the lowest, right? So I'll give you an example. When I do something like today, is a, um, it's an off day for me, so I'm only going to do two meals. Um, I probably, because it's Friday night, maybe we'll have three glasses of wine instead of two, um, unless we go out somewhere. But I actually will do intermittent fasting on the days off. But I have coffee in the morning, right? So I'll do coffee, but instead of adding like my collagen protein and my prebiotic fiber and all the other good stuff, because those technically still break a fast, I'm just doing MCT powder with a little bit of glycine powder, right? I'm not going to get into the weeds of the coffee. That probably is its own podcast. Um, but it's something that allows my body to kind of go through, you know, I, hey, I finished dinner last night at 7.30, o'clock or whatever my last calorie was. And if I don't have breakfast till 2 today, that means I want 12, 16, 16 or 17 hours without food. So what it does is it gives my body enough time to go through some autophagy, which is kind of some recycling process for the body. Um, allows my body to kind of maybe get through any stored fat if I'm trying to focus on staying lean or being a little bit leaner. So to give you guys kind of a protocol to wrap up today's conversation, because I know it's a fuck ton of information and a lot of things coming from left and right here, is number one, focus on structuring meals, right? Ideally, if you're someone that eats three meals a day, then don't force yourself to go into two, right? I personally, on days I don't work out, like two meals a day. On days I work out, try to get three meals a day. Um, I try to focus on meals. Here's the one thing about intermittent fasting that I want you guys to remember if I do a two-meal day. You need to remember that your quota not necessarily has changed. So where a lot of people screw up intermittent fasting is they go, okay, well, if I'm skipping a meal, that means I'm taking a fuck ton less calories. Yes and no, right? That's one of the advantages of fasting and intermittent fasting in general is it's a good way to kind of calorie restrict yourself. It's a good way to kind of help, you know, cut cravings because you're getting your body used to going hours without food and just kind of going about its day. Um, but we don't want to be at an extreme deficit, right? Just because we're intermittent fasting, you still want to think like, okay, well, I'm still trying to have, you know, 150 grams of protein today or something like that. So if I'm having two meals and I'm having 150 grams of protein today, that's 75 grams of protein. So when I eat my two meals, I have a lot more in there, right? So I'll have maybe eight or 10 ounces of protein. I'll have a cup and a half of vegetables. I'll have a little bit more carbohydrates with those for me personally. So that's one thing to think about is try to stick to meals and not snacks. So this way we're not getting the up and down all day of blood sugar and insulin because we want to get your body enough time to go, hey, we got shit stored. How do I start to utilize this for energy? And over time, your body will start to slowly become more metabolically flexible. So your body will actually get used to running on fats and used to running on carbs when you give it. So that's one thing. Stick to meals, less snacks. Number two is give yourself days and or meals of carb deprivation. So on days off, on rest days, yeah, maybe only have 50 grams of carbs or 100 grams of carbs or something like that, depending on your lean body mass. If you're someone that has a lot of muscle, you can have more carbs. If you're someone that has a lot of activity, you can have more carbs. If you're someone that does not have a lot of muscle and you are very sedentary, then yes, you should not be taking a lot of carbohydrates in and or calories and or fat calories. So maybe those are days that you have more fibrous vegetables, maybe a little bit of fruit, a lot more protein and a little bit of fat. And think about it this way. A lot of times your protein could be your fat intake. If I'm having salmon, that's great fat. If I'm having a steak, that's great fat. If I'm having eggs, that's great fat. But if you're having something like tilapia or chicken or things like that, then yeah, you can add a little bit more fat to those. But giving yourself meals and or days without that gives your body that extra little boost and that extra chance to really get into fat burning, right? So that's a big thing, right? So if I can kind of cut off today's conversation with just that is focus on meals, ideally two or three of them. Remember, you still have a quota. We want to be in a calorie deprivation. Um, we still want to have a protein quota. 
Number two is give yourself maybe breakfast or dinner every day. Doesn't have any carbs, right? I personally like to put my carbs closer to the kind of around my daylight hours. Hopefully, we're trying to get all our food in that. Uh, But more importantly, around my workout hours. So my lunch is the heaviest carb meal that I have every day. And the reason why is if I'm working out, guess what? My body's burning through glycogen. So that's going to be a big thing, right? It's trying to really time your carbs, right? And then, like I said, maybe once a week, you do an OMAD day with only one meal. Or maybe once a week, if you're someone that is a little heavier set, going a full day of doing a 24-hour fast, right? These fasting periods are not something that we necessarily need to be scared of. The only thing I want you guys to be aware of with fasting where people screw up is they they malnourish themselves. Fasting, intermittent fasting, I think is probably one of the best ways to get your body fat adapted as long as the eating window is still giving your body the nourishment it needs because that's where people fuck up. Right, This is where the eating disorders and all the other shit kind of falls into place is if you're fasting and then you're still malnourished or you're feeding yourself shit food, yeah, like that's like a double negative at that point. We want to focus on nourishment at the end of the day with nutrition, right? Um, I'm trying to think if I missed anything here. But really, that's that's kind of the big thing I really wanted to talk to you guys is like, how do we improve metabolic flexibility using things like meals versus snacks? Um, you know, how to focus on making sure that you understand. I guess the only thing I would say to kind of finish up today is remember that fats and carbs are two different sources of energy, meaning your body, your mitochondria and the cells, which is the powerhouse of energy, they compete against both. We have different pathways on how to utilize that energy. Um, so try to focus on either like when you're having meals, like either they have If it's a higher carb, try not to have a lot of fats. Or if it's vice versa, if it's higher fat, try not to have a lot of high carb. Um, They both work, right? Keto works and high carb works. I My last competition, I'll give you guys an example. Um, I was doing very lean protein. My coach had me doing chicken breast, and he had me doing tilapia, a small amount of vegetables just to have some fiber so I was regular. And then I was doing rice or potatoes pretty much every meal. I wasn't doing a lot of fats. Maybe one or two meals a day, I would have like one or two ounces of almonds. So I wasn't doing a lot of fats. Um, My last competition, I got down to 3% body fat. So we can't say that high carb doesn't allow you to get lean. We just have to remember that like we're trying to get your body to be on or off of one of those switch. Now, I personally kind of control my carbs, and I stay around 6 or 8%, and I'm still pretty lean, right? So you have to just pay attention to regulation of how we look at macros. Protein and fiber need to be the essential to every meal. Then control how much fat and carbs you kind of throw on top of everything from there, right? All right, guys, I know today's maybe was a little bit longer. I know that's a lot of information. If you guys do like this nutrition stuff and you want to hear more of that, please let me know. Leave a comment, text me, whatever. Um, As usual, subscribe if you're not. Leave a review if you haven't. Send this and share this to somebody else that needs to hear this. And as always, take care. Have a great weekend.